Hi, welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Amen. Brothers and sisters, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. Be looking at chapter 3, verses 1 to 6 this evening. And that'd be Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Please give your attention now to the reading of God's holy word. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses was, faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who builds all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ has a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope, firm to the end. Thus far the reading of God's word, you may be seated. Let's go to the Lord once again in prayer. Father, as we do consider the greatness of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in comparing him with Moses, that, Lord, truly Moses was faithful in all your house, but Christ is over that house as a son. Help us, O Lord, to see his greatness, and may it be that the beholding of his glory would keep us faithful to you, that we would see that above all other things we are to serve this one who is, in fact, so great and who is our Savior. For, Lord, we do ask it in the name of Jesus. We do pray, Lord, for his sake, that you would open up our eyes now as your word is preached. Amen. Well, the book of Hebrews, as I'm sure you know, is all about comparisons. There are always things or people that are being compared uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ. And in these comparisons, there's always some kind of point of similarity. There's always some way in which these things or these people are like the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, we can then look back on these things and we can see how they pointed forward to the Lord Jesus Christ because of the similarity. Uh, And yet, ultimately, the point of the comparisons is to say that though there are things and people who are like the Lord Jesus Christ in some way, ultimately, Christ is far superior. He is far superior to all of these things which pointed forward to him. There is no one like Jesus, including Moses. And in terms of the train of thought of the author, because of that, You ought to persevere in holding fast to the confession of faith that you've made. Uh, If Christ is so great, how could you think of turning away from him? Now, this text is all about uh, comparing the Lord Jesus Christ with Moses. You may be wondering why compare Christ with Moses. Hopefully, if you've been with us for the evening services as we've been going through the book of Deuteronomy, um, that is 
A question that is a bit easier to answer. Why compare with Moses? Well, Moses is the greatest of all the Old Testament prophets. Uh, one commentator, in fact, says um, that it seems anticlimactic that the author would be comparing Jesus to the angels and then all of a sudden he moves to comparing him with Moses. But actually, it's very fitting. It's very fitting. The author has shown that Jesus as the Son is greater than the angels. And then he showed in the incarnation he's lower than the angels. So he's done this comparison with the angels and shown that as per his Godhead, Christ is above the angels, as per his manhood, he's below the angels. And then the next logical question they ask is, well, if he is a man, and if as a man he is lower than the angels, how does Christ compare to the greatest of all men, to the most faithful in all of God's house? And that's the reason why the movement immediately goes to Moses in Hebrews chapter 3. And the point is to say, we can compare Christ with the greatest of all men, the one who is testified to by God himself to be the faithful one in all of God's house, to be the great prophet whom God speaks with face to face, and of whom it is said that no one else was like him. We can compare Jesus Christ to this one, and we can show that the Lord Jesus Christ is not just like Moses, as the fulfillment of Deuteronomy 18, the prophet like Moses, but actually that he far exceeds Moses. He far excels Moses in every way. And that is the point that the author is trying to make. Now again, brothers and sisters, uh, one of the things that I've been pointing out as we've been going through the book of Hebrews is that um, all of the comparisons, all of the doctrinal portions of the book of Hebrews, they all drive us to the pastoral exhortations that immediately follow. Uh, everything in the book of Hebrews is driving towards um, statements given to you that you might see uh, not just that Christ is better than Moses, but that Christ being better than Moses means that you must hold fast to your confession. That Christ being better than Moses means that if, Christ, that if Moses um, led the people out of Egypt, and if he uh, led them up all the way up to the promised land, and he led the people through the wilderness, if it was a bad thing for people to hear the voice of God in this way, and then to turn away in the days of Moses, it is much worse to turn away from Christ, who did not just bring the people up to the promised land, but actually brought them into the promised land and brought them into the rest of God. Uh, that is what the author is, in fact, driving to. We even have a hint of the exhortation given in verse 6. After the, at the end of this great comparison with Christ and Moses, he says, we are that house. We are the house of God. We are the house of Christ. If we hold fast our confession, if we hold fast our confession, the point is to say, in light of all that Christ has done, and in light of his greatness, far above even that of Moses, you must hold fast to your confession. You must hold fast to your confession of faith, no matter what kind of challenges you face in this life. That is the point that the author to the Hebrews makes over and over again. Now, in comparing Moses to Christ, we'll look at this passage under two headings. Uh, first, in verses 1 to 2, the introduction, there's an introduction to the comparison. And the thing that's highlighted here is the similarity. So how is Moses like Jesus? And that becomes the basis for then the, the contrast. And, the, and really, we'll look at the contrast then in verses 3 to 6. And the contrast centers around this metaphor around a house. So there is a different relationship to the house of God. And that shows the difference. There are some ways in which they're the same, in which they're similar, and some ways in which they are uh, different. Now you'll notice that in the beginning of the passage in verses 1 and 2, the author begins by calling on the people of God to consider Jesus. 
And of course, as, as it's developed, the idea is consider Jesus in his greatness as he is greater than Moses. Now, brothers and sisters, this is the thing that is, is always done in the book of Hebrews and is always the thing that you need no matter what you are going through, no matter what struggles you have, no matter what sins you're struggling with, no matter what is facing you, the thing that you always need more than anything else is exactly what the author to the Hebrews says here, which is to consider Jesus. Consider the greatness of this Savior that you have. Um, oftentimes we can think when we're going through difficulties that, you know, we need um, this or that kind of um, wisdom to be able to make this or that decision. And there is a place for that. The, the Word of God gives us many details about how we are to make decisions and uh, what kind of things we are to do to face this or that thing. But brothers and sisters, the thing always that is needed more than anything else is to behold the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. When, when your faith is being challenged, that is the thing that is going to keep you faithful. It is not your strength. It's not uh, it's not your uh, dedication to Christ considered abstractly. It is always going to be, how glorious do you see the Lord Jesus Christ? And that is going to be the foundation that's going to en enable you to be devoted to Christ to such a degree that when you face great difficulties, you'll be able to face them uh, without any problems, without there being any lapse of faith, without there being any decrease in faith in any way. And so this is the goal, of really, of the entire letter. The, the goal of the entire letter is to get you to consider the Lord Jesus Christ and consider him in relation to the angels, in relation to Moses, in relation to Aaron, in relation to Melchizedek, in relation to the tabernacle, in relation to the sacrificial system, all of these things, uh, to consider him, to see his glory, and to hold fast to him. That is the point of the entire book of Hebrews. Now, you'll notice, brothers and sisters, as this uh, exhortation begins, that he uh, begins by addressing the audience. Notice he calls them two things, holy brethren, and then secondly, partakers of the heavenly calling. They are holy brethren, and they are partakers of the heavenly calling. Now, this is important to note because um, with the exhortations, the exhortations in the book of Hebrews are often quite strong. And there are a lot of hard words that are said. You know, if you turn away from the Lord, you know, you must know that he is a consuming fire and that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. There are many very difficult exhortations that are given in the book of Hebrews. And yet, what we'll see all the way through the book of Hebrews is that the author is actually quite confident that these exhortations will be received well. He, he doesn't address them as people who he, he thinks are, are really unbelievers, uh, though maybe outwardly they're Christians. He has every confidence that these are, in fact, his brothers and sisters. Well, that comes out very clearly in chapter 6, but it comes out clearly here as well. So he begins by uh, calling them holy brothers. Holy brothers. This would, would, of course, include brothers and sisters. And uh, the, the, the language of brothers picks up on, on uh, verses 10 and 11 of chapter 2, where the Father brings many sons to glory through the Lord Jesus Christ. And if this is the case, that the Father has done this to bring many sons to glory, then it, it's also the case that Jesus Christ is our brother. And we are then, we have him as our elder brother. And all of us are brothers one with another. And so the author is picking up on that and he's recognizing, you know, all of you have been set apart. You've been made holy in that sense. You've been set apart uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ. And you are my brother, the author is saying, and you are all brothers one of another. It's a very positive way to address the people of God as he begins this exhortation. And notice again, then secondly, he, he says they are partakers of a heavenly calling, of the heavenly calling, the idea of, of uh, being called to the heavenly things. 
Now, this is something that will be expanded on very much throughout the, the letter as well. The author will go into great details about uh, the holy places and the holy of holies that Christ has given us entrance to through his flesh, as he'll say in chapter 10. And that the way is open in this way for us. Um, but the point is to say that the author is confident that the people he is speaking to are those who have a right to these very things. And yet, brothers and sisters, he still gives them a very strong exhortation. He gives them a very strong exhortation. It is never the case that we can say, because I know that I am saved, therefore I do not need exhortation. I know that I'll always be okay. That is never the way that the scriptures speak. If you are truly a Christian, it means you will heed the exhortation well. The confidence that the author has here is confidence that when he gives an exhortation, it will be received well. And in fact, if exhortations are given, which they must be given, they're, given, they're all throughout the scriptures, there's always very difficult exhortations that are given. If the exhortations are not received well, this would be good evidence that a person is at, at the very best weak in their faith and perhaps not a Christian at all. Uh, the exhortation is one of the means by which God keeps his people faithful. And so he has every confidence that he's speaking to Christians, and yet he still uh, gives these strong exhortations. Uh, what this means, brothers and sisters, is that you must never despise exhortations that are given to you. They can often be difficult to receive. Uh, no one wants to be told that you know, this or that thing in their lives is not right, that it's a sin, that they need to turn from it. And yet this is exactly what happens in the preaching of the, world, uh, of the word. Um, the, the thing to do, brothers and sisters, is to have the view of David who in one of the Psalms says, let a righteous man strike me. Let a righteous man strike me. It is like oil to my head. Let my head not refuse it. This, is, this always ought to be uh, our disposition towards others when we are exhorted by them, and particularly as you sit under the word of God preached. Uh, I can count all of you as holy brothers, partakers of the heavenly calling, just like the author to the Hebrews. And yet, I am called upon to give you very strong exhortations from the pulpit to open up to you the word of God and to apply it uh, faithfully to you. Now, I, I have personally been encouraged by the way in which this congregation has received strong exhortations from the pulpit. And uh, may it be that God would even cause this to increase, that uh, I would be able to speak strong exhortations and that they would be received well, that there'd be no fear of, of backlash in this way, and that you would even receive it well so that you can grow. This is, again, one of the ways in which uh, God has appointed for you to grow. Now, notice then, after the address, there is the exhortation proper, which is to consider the Lord Jesus Christ. Still in verse 1, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. You'll notice that there are two things that are said about the Lord Jesus Christ. First, that he is an apostle, and second, that he is the high priest. Now, it may be strange for you to think of the Lord Jesus Christ as an apostle. We, we typically think of the apostles as the, the 12 uh, disciples, and that Christ is then over the apostles. Uh, but the reason why Jesus is called an apostle here is because the word apostle simply means sent. And so though in other places in the New Testament, Christ is not called an apostle or the apostle, yet it is very clear all over the scriptures, and particularly from the words of Christ himself, that he was sent from the Father. Uh, very often we hear Christ saying, as we even heard from Matthew chapter 10 last week, if anyone receives you, he receives me, and he also will receive the one who sent me. And this is, of course, on the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ all the time. 
he was sent by the Father. And in that sense, he is an apostle. And this even sets up a link with Moses. Moses, in this sense, was also sent uh, for the sake of the salvation of the people of God, just like Christ was. Moses was sent to Pharaoh to save uh, the people of God. And Christ was sent from the Father also for the sake of the people of God. And so in, in some ways, both of them uh, are sent. And what the author is saying here to do is to consider the greatness of Christ as he has been sent uh, from the Father. Now, the second thing that's said is that he is the high priest. He is a high priest, is one who represents the people to God and who makes atonement on their behalf. Now, we're not going to go into much details about what it means for Christ to be the high priest because that will actually be the subject of uh, many chapters even uh, of the book of Hebrews. This is really just an introduction to it, which will be fleshed out in later parts of the letter. Uh, but the point is uh, simply to say, the thing that you need more than anything else as you think about the need you have to hold fast to your confession, is to consider the one who is called the apostle and high priest of our confession, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. Consider him in all of his glory, and consider the way in which, as it says in verse 2, he was faithful to him who appointed him as such. The one who was sent by the Father to be the high priest of our confession. He was faithful to the Father who sent him. That's what's said then at the beginning of verse 2. And this really becomes the way in which the author introduces this comparison with Moses. So he says, Christ was faithful to him who appointed him. The one who appointed him was the Father. And that means that he is in some ways like Moses. Because Moses, as we are told, is faithful in all his house. As the author says at the end of verse 2. Moses is faithful in all of his house, just like Christ was faithful to the one who appointed him. This is the way in which the two are similar. They are similar to one another. Now, this last phrase is an allusion to Numbers chapter 12, verse 7. If you're with us uh, for the sermons through Deuteronomy, you'll know that we had a, 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 the opportunity to allude to that text a number of times. And again, the point of that text was to say that, that the Father himself bore witness to the greatness of Moses. And he said, there's really no one else like Moses in all of my house. He is faithful in all of my house, even all the other prophets. The prophets receive dreams and visions, but it's not so with Moses. Moses is greater, and therefore he gets to speak with God face to face. The reason given in the text is Moses is faithful in all the house of God. And so Christ is faithful, Moses is faithful. There is a similarity between the two. However, as we see in verses 3 to 6, Christ actually far surpasses Moses. And even without there being any compromise with us saying that Moses is still the one who is faithful in all God's house. The point is to say, the point in verses 3 to 6 is to pick up on what is said in Numbers chapter 12, verse 7 with regard to the house, and to then compare Moses versus Christ in terms of their relation to the house. It is certainly true, as the Old Testament bears witness, as God himself has said, Moses is faithful in all of God's house. However, Moses is faithful in the house as a servant. Christ is faithful over the house as a son, and therefore he is far superior to Moses. He is far superior to Moses. Now, uh, this comparison, it begins in verse 3, where we now have the contrast. Where we, we're told that Christ is counted of more honor and glory than Moses, inasmuch as, notice, he who built the house has more glory than the house itself. So there is a kind of honor that is possible for the house, but it can never exceed the glory that is received by the one who is the builder of the house. Anyone who builds something 
has more glory naturally than the thing itself which is built. And we kind of know this intuitively. If you think about all the great things that have been built over the past century, you think of the great technology and the computers and all these things. Uh, these things are, are great in themselves when we consider them and they give us you know, lots of conveniences and, and all these things. Uh, and yet, the thing that is more amazing is that we have people who are able to build them. And it is redounds to the glory of the person who builds it more that he was able to do that than of the actual thing itself. The thing cannot make itself. It's simply the product of the, the, the building of another. And so even as we think of like things that are being made now that are uh, amazing, you think of like, a, you know, like private industry going into space, that sort of thing. Uh, the thing that is often on the minds of people and on the mouths of people is the praise of the people, the particular people who are able to make those things happen. And it's really to their glory that they're able to do that, which surpasses the thing itself that is in fact being made. The point is to say, applying that here, Moses is faithful in the house, but Christ is the maker of the house. And therefore he is worth more glory than Moses. Now this then continues in verse four, as uh, the author says, every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. Now, this is a, this is a, a, a pretty tr a difficult verse to understand in terms of the flow of thought and the argument. Uh, there are a number of different ideas about what this verse means. Uh, one of the, of the things that's important to note about it is you'll notice with the word for that the point of verse four is actually to progress the argument. So the idea is that Christ is worth, worthy of more glory than Moses inasmuch as the builder of a house is worth more glory than the house itself. And verse four is meant to say, to give some connection to how we know that Christ must be the one who in fact built the house itself. What's the connection between uh, these uh, two things? Now, uh, the, the point then is to say that if there is a house, as it says in Numbers 12, 7, then we know that someone must have built the house. And therefore there has to be somebody who is in fact more glorious then Moses, because Moses is a part of the house. That's the point of the beginning of verse four. If there was a house, it must have been built by someone. And then the second thing is to say, the one who built this house is in fact God. That's the point of the second part of verse four. Now there are a couple of tricky things about uh, the second part of verse four, and that, and that comes down to the, our understanding of the words all and the word God. Now you'll notice that in, in the version that I read and in many other versions, the word all is followed by things, all things. That's really an interpretation from uh, the Greek. Um, and there are many who, who follow that. I don't think it's the best understanding of the text itself. Uh, the purpose is not to say that God made all things, therefore God can make a house. Rather, the word all is being limited by the context to say that the house, which we are speaking of, when we speak about, Moses being faithful in, in the house, that whole house, all of it, is made by God. That the glory of the house itself must mean that the one who built the house was God. That's the point. So the idea is, Moses is faithful in all God's house. If there is a house, there must be a builder. And when we think about all of this house, this house is so glorious, it must have been built uh, by God. And this is what would be following uh, Owen, John Owen, who wrote uh, all the things treated about or the whole house uh, is the idea. He says that it is limited by 
the context. And if you basically, if you don't limit it by the context, and it's just a statement of creation, uh, then it really is divorced from the context and it doesn't forward the argument in any way. The point is, is that there had always been a promise that there would be a house that would be built by God himself. This is a promise that goes back all the way to Exodus 15. And the idea is that only God could build that house. And therefore, if we're speaking about Moses being faithful in the house, it must mean that that house was built by God. If that's the house that we're speaking of, then the house was in fact built by God because nobody else uh, could in fact build that house. Now, if that's the case, then the second thing that we need to understand is that uh, the one who is referred to when we speak of God building all these things must be mean by the context that we're speaking about Christ. The way that we know that Christ is the builder of the house is because the author has already shown that the, that the builder is God and that Christ is God. And therefore, uh, Christ is in fact the builder of the house. The maker of the whole house is Christ himself. And so if we then take a step back then and we, we summarize the whole thing of what's being said in verses three to four, Christ is worthy of more glory than Moses because the builder of a house is worth more glory than the house itself. Every house has to be built by someone. The only one who could have built this house is God. Christ is God who built the house. That's the point of the comparison in uh, verses three and four. And this leads then to the, the final uh, comparison, the metaphor that's given, really the explanation of the metaphor in verses five and six, where there is a description of Moses in verse five and then a description of uh, Christ in verse six. The point is, again, that Moses is in the house as a servant. He's faithful, but he's in the house as a servant. Christ is over the house as a son. Now, the point in all of this is not in any way to denigrate Moses. And this is something that we'll see all throughout the book of Hebrews. There is never any denigration of anything from the Old Testament. It's rather to say, look at how great Moses is. And then notice there is a categorical difference in terms of greatness between Moses and Christ. Moses is great. He worked great and mighty deeds on behalf of God, and he was very faithful to him. And yet, he was only a servant. He was only a servant. He could claim nothing more. However, Christ is fundamentally different because he built the house and is over that house as a son. Fundamentally, Christ is a son. And therefore, as the one who is over the house, who built the house, he is worthy of more glory than Moses himself. That's the point of the comparison. Now, brothers and sisters, the end of verse 6 is simply to say, we are all that house. We are that house. Um, there was some question in the Old Testament as to what the nature of the house that God would build would be like. Would it be uh, an actual temple made uh, with hands in some way? Would it look like a temple? Or would it be a people? From Numbers 12, we think of the house as being a people. And there was some indication that it could have been a, 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 a physical structure, some indication that it could have been the people of God. And yet here we see very clearly, we are that house. Now, brothers and sisters, think of the greatness of what is being stated here in terms of our relation to the Lord Jesus Christ and the blessings that we have in him. Moses is a servant to all those who are in the house. He was even our servant. He wrote down things that were for our benefit. He served the people of God uh, very faithfully. However, we, we cannot ascribe to Moses being the one who is the foundation of our salvation. He, he like many other faithful people, points us to Christ. But Christ is really the one who builds us up. 
He is the one who sovereignly grants faith to all of his people, chosen in all eternity, for whom he died. He sovereignly gives us all these things that we might even grow up into the house of God, wherein, as the scriptures say, we become a dwelling place of God himself. And th this means that we, we owe an allegiance to Christ that is far different than the allegiance that we could ever have to Moses. Uh, we owe our very souls to Christ. Uh, he, he is the one who has saved us in a way that Moses never could. Uh, Moses worked a great salvation and then prophesied of the time when the internal conversion, the new heart, would be given. Christ is the one who sovereignly grants that. We are that house wherein God now dwells even in our midst. Now, if that is the case, brothers and sisters, if this is what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, not just that he is the, the maker of any house, but he is in this sense the maker of all of us as he remakes us in his image and makes us as living stones built up into a holy dwelling place for God. If that is the case, brothers and sisters, we must hold fast to our confession. We must hold fast to our confession. You must hold fast to your confession in every single situation. There is no blessing that you could think of that would be greater than this, that God would dwell in you. It's the great guarantee even of, of eternal life. And it's the thing that is going to be, uh, even now we're told that even the blessings we have with regard to the indwelling of the Spirit is but a foretaste. It's but a, a security deposit on the full blessings that we will have when the Lord Jesus Christ ret returns. If this is the blessing for those who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, then brothers and sisters, we simply cannot turn away. This is true of us only if, only if we hold fast to the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Now again, brothers and sisters, those who are true heed that confession and they continue on. Uh, those those who, who are not true hear these kinds of exhortations and they cast it aside. Brothers and sisters, may it be that we would be those who remain faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is always in the scriptures the knowledge of the glory of Christ that will keep you faithful to him. And the point of the author of the book of Hebrews is simply to, to shine the light on the glory of Christ and to shine it like into a diamond. You know, if you, if you test out a diamond, you can shine it in a light and you turn it and it radiates in all these various ways. That is basically what the author to the Hebrews is doing. He is saying, look, compare the Lord Jesus Christ to the, to the angels. He is glorious. Compare him to Moses. He is glorious. How can you think of turning away from a Savior who is, in fact, so great? How could you think of turning away from one who even now is building you up as living stones into a household of God, that God himself even now dwells in us by the Spirit. May it be, brothers and sisters, that you would behold the glory of this, these wonderful blessings and the greatness of Christ, and that you would be enabled, encouraged to remain faithful to him in everything that you face in this life. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how would you thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is greater than Moses. Uh, Lord, we do thank you that he is uh, even now our builder, the one who builds us up. Uh, Lord, we know that if, unless you build the house, those who build it labor in vain, how thankful we are that with this house, that you are the builder. 
uh, that your son is the builder and that we are uh, simply the product of his work. Uh, what a great thing to think on. May it be that we would uh, always have in our hearts the glory of these blessings. And may it be, Lord, that we would never even think of turning away from you. For we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at newcovenantopc.com. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. May God enlighten the eyes of your heart, that through the preached word your eyes may be opened to behold the glory of Christ more and more.